Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We were mentioning last time that God is involved in a grand restoration scheme. God's grand design, His great plan for the world, has a great objective, namely to reestablish peace on this earth and harmony across our planet. That idea, that hope, that goal for the Christian life is encapsulated in Jesus' favorite term, the kingdom of God, and indeed it's good news, it's gospel, it's saving gospel. Jesus called it the gospel about the kingdom of God. Restoration has been God's design and his ideal from the very beginning, ever since man disrupted God's plan at the beginning, even though, of course, man takes full responsibility for his sinfulness and his rebellion against God, ever since that beginning, God has been promising that there's coming a time of restoration, of peace and prosperity, an era of unparalleled joy, peace and security to be extended across the world. That idea is summed up so well in Acts 3, verse 21, where Peter, in a very signal and important sermon, said, Heaven must retain the Messiah, for the time being, that is, until the time comes for the restoration of all things about which all the prophets have spoken. Acts 3, verse 21. You notice there, of course, that Peter spoke of a time coming when heaven would no longer retain the Messiah. That's to say the Messiah is going to depart from heaven and come back to the earth to fulfill those wonderful prophecies given us on page after page of the Hebrew prophets in the Old Testament, and he's going to fill the world with righteousness. There will be peace from sea to sea. The lion will graze with the lamb. The wolf and the tiger and the lamb and the little child will be able to mix together. There will be complete harmony in nature as there will be complete harmony in human society. Nations will abandon their plans to destroy each other with weapons of war. Representatives of all nations will gather at a world worship center in Jerusalem where the Messiah and his chosen faithful who will be ruling with him will execute a fair and just government for all peoples. That time, that great time coming, that good time coming is designated in Scripture as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and there's absolutely no difference in meaning between those two phrases. The kingdom of heaven is not, as many have tended to think, a kingdom in heaven as a place far removed from this earth. It's a kingdom which comes from heaven, a divine kingdom to be established on the earth. As one leading contemporary commentary on the Bible says it so well, the kingdom of God means the future and final salvation of all humanity socially, politically, and spiritually through an exercise of the sovereignty of God who is going to establish justice and peace on earth as well as in heaven. And references given there are Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where the Son of Man, who is a symbol both of Jesus and the saints together in cooperation, are going to receive the power to rule the world. World government is going to be placed in the hands of Messiah. I have to tell you that at the present time, world government is not placed in the hands of Messiah. If it were, our world would be a very different place. But the time is coming when the kingdom from heaven, the divine kingdom, 
is going to be established on earth. Heaven, if you like, is going to come to this earth. Christians would do well to give up the unbiblical notion that the objective of the faith is to go to heaven or to seek a place in heaven. That's not the point of Jesus' teaching at all. Blessed are the meek, he said. They're going to inherit the earth. And the earth will, in that future day when Jesus returns, become the kingdom of God worldwide. Everything in the Bible strains towards that great moment, that grand denouement of God's wonderful plan from the beginning to establish peace and prosperity on the earth in the form of the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, Jesus said we're to pray. And furthermore, he said we're to seek first the kingdom of God as the ultimate great priority in our lives, the only ultimate priority of any lasting value. All other goals and ambitions are temporary, are fleeting, are transient. But the one supreme goal, which has ultimate meaning, ultimate reality for all of us as Christians, is to seek a place in that future kingdom of God when Jesus returns. From cover to cover, the Bible is a book about kingship. The Messiah Jesus, and of course the word Messiah itself means king, the Messiah Jesus is the chosen king of Israel, and his message is about God's coming kingdom. Believers must be vitally interested in that kingdom because God, through the gospel, invites them to be kings and priests with his son Jesus. A royal messianic drama pervades the scriptures. The Abrahamic faith provides the key for restoring the much-neglected kingship theme to the church. You know there is actually a denomination called the Church of God Abrahamic Faith. And the idea behind that title as the name of a denomination is that we trace the kingship idea, the kingdom idea, the gospel of the kingdom idea, back to God's great covenant and dealings with Abraham. The gospel, Paul said in Galatians 3.8, was preached beforehand to Abraham. Did you catch that? The Christian gospel, said Paul, was preached in advance to Abraham. We believe that evangelism will flourish when our hearts and minds are filled with the amazing royal plan God is executing for our benefit and for the world. And so our discussion of the kingdom of God in this series now takes a new turn, perhaps, as we begin to investigate in detail the covenant made with Abraham, which is at the heart and essence and foundation of the Christian gospel itself. Galatians 3, verse 8. If you will take a Bible, and any translation will be quite sufficient for this purpose, and open it to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, you will find that God, so to speak, made a new beginning in the house of one called Abraham. Abraham, you will remember, was invited by God to leave his country, his kindred, and his immediate family even, or most of them, and to depart in faith for a land that God was going to show him. Now, the beauty of Abraham's conduct there as the model of Christian faith was that he left no questions asked. He simply got up and did what God said. This was the essence of faith, and this indeed is still the essence of faith. Abraham believed God. You'll find Paul saying in the book of Romans, Abraham believed God, and God reckoned that belief and that faith and that obedience as righteousness to Abraham. What Abraham did in response to his call from God to leave the things nearest and dearest to him, his country, his wider family, and his nearer family, 
is the exact model for what we as Christians following Christ are supposed to do. We too, said Jesus, must be willing to give up everything for the sake of Christ. He who loves mother or father or children or wives or daughters or sons more than Jesus cannot be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus must take precedence over everything in our life. The demands of discipleship are overwhelming. Jesus said plainly that we have to be willing, if necessary, to give up everything. Just as Abraham abandoned his father's house, his wider family, and his country for the great goal of the land to which God was calling him. Now, this does not, of course, mean that every Christian has to make exactly the same sacrifices as Abraham. But every Christian must be willing to put Christ and the demands of Christian discipleship first and foremost in his life. You remember the famous teaching of Jesus, Seek first, as first priority, the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. What then was the call of Abraham? To what was Abraham called? I read in Genesis 12, verse 1, Go to the land, said God, that I'm going to show you. All the land which you see, I'm going to give it to you and your offspring forever. Genesis 13, verse 17. A son coming from your own body will be your heir. Genesis 15, verse 4. I am the Lord who brought you out of Babylon, out of Ur of the Chaldees, to give you this land to take possession of it. Genesis 15, verse 7. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I am going to give this land. Genesis 15, verse 18. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I'm going to establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now living as a resident alien, I'm going to give it to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Genesis 17, verses 6 to 8. And further, the book of Genesis states, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. I have chosen him, God said in Genesis 18, verses 18 and 19, and Abraham's descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. Genesis 22:17. God promised to Abraham on oath, to your offspring, I'm going to give this land. Genesis 24, verse 7. Now, it will not be hard to observe that the essence and the heart of the covenant which God made with Abraham had to do with the gift of the land. A promise, indeed, of an everlasting gift of land to Abraham himself and to his descendants after him. I hardly need to point out that the gift of that land had to do with a piece of territory, a piece of real estate here on this planet. It was the land of Canaan, what we now call the land of Palestine, the land of Israel, which was to be the land given as a gift, covenanted as a gift to Abraham and his offspring forever. I want to tell you that that is the rock-firm foundation of God's dealings with humanity. 
It was the descendant of Jesus who became heir of that promise of the land, and it's Christians too who are invited to participate in that great and wonderful covenant, the gift of the land given to Abraham, to Messiah, and to all who call themselves Christians and believe in the Abrahamic covenant promised to Jesus and to the followers of Jesus. Such is the heart of the Christian gospel. You see, the land which God promised to Abraham becomes simply the kingdom of God in the New Testament. You'll find this clearly spelled out in Matthew chapter 5. There Jesus can say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the kingdom belongs to them. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom is to be theirs. And in the very same breath, a couple of verses later, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, theirs is to be the earth or the land. The land, therefore, is equivalent to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God of the future is simply the great land promise given to Abraham way back there in Genesis 12. That great theme of the gift of land to Abraham and to Abraham's great descendant, the Messiah, as well as to all those who join themselves to the Messiah in faith, that is the golden thread that binds the biblical story together from one cover of the Bible to the other. I've written a book on this subject of the kingdom of God. We would ask you to request your free copy from us by using the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. You'll find, we think, in this book a guide to the overall theme of the Bible which will greatly help you in your study of Scripture. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.